We do indeed give God praise for His mercy and grace. Uh, it is all of Him. It is all of His goodness, grace, lavish upon us as those who are adopted into His family, those who have the application of Christ's atoning work made to our account by the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to continue our series on um, strong weakness, the power of God in our frailty and foolishness. And uh, we've entered just last week into a new segment of this series where we're thinking about weak but coming together. Uh, last Sunday, we spoke about the message of coming together. We saw that it is a message for the head. We know the fear of the Lord. We know the love of the Lord. We know the life of the Lord. We saw that it's a, a message for the heart that speaks to what we are. What we are is plain to God. We hope it's plain to others as well. We are a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. And not only are we a new creation, we are ambassadors. That is, we are called by God, from God, to God, and we have been sent out for God to proclaim the beauty of Jesus Christ and to be His representatives in an ungodly, um, lost world. Uh, we also have a message for the hands. And as a message for the hands, we try to persuade people. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And you cannot simply be reconciled intellectually. You must be reconciled functionally. Reconciliation is a relational term. It impacts how we live, how we are, what we are like, and what we do in this society. Uh, we're going to see a little more about that even this morning as we contemplate not only the message of coming together, which we saw last week, but the ministry of coming together. So let's think about that from chapter 6, verse 1. Working together with Him, Him being God, working together with Him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. By truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are, we are treated as impostors. 
and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace. We thank you that you have saved us in Jesus Christ. We thank you um, for those perhaps among us who are not reconciled to you in Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would help them to see that this is indeed good news. Lord, we ask for your mercy and grace upon us continually as we listen, and I pray that you would particularly bless me as I preach, that I would do so with clarity and boldness. I pray that you would prevent distraction among us and that you would help us all to be attentive and to learn what you would have us do for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. What is the ministry of coming together? Sometimes people, um, uh, they, they get the message of coming together and the ministry of coming together confused. And there are people who believe that if you tick the right boxes when it comes to the message, well, then that's, that's sorted. You don't have to worry about anything else. And, and there are people who may faithfully proclaim the message of reconciliation, and on the merits of that and that alone, they are rendered in the eyes of uh, the various gatekeepers sound, solid, biblical, and all of that may be true. And yet, they have a bad attitude. They're perpetually angry about something or the other. Uh, they are um, bitter, resentful, malicious. They are perhaps none of those things. Maybe they play the part well of, 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 of um, uh, the everyday nice guy. But behind the scenes, they're immoral. Um, it is not enough simply to have the message. You know, there are plenty of people in this world who are called ambassadors. Loads of ambassadors. And ambassadors, all of them, are appointed for that role of diplomacy representing the interests of their nation in another nation. Is that a fair definition of an ambassador? An ambassador is um, a representative of their nation and its interests in another nation. And uh, with a, a church that is made up, so many of us, of um, immigrants, first, second, or third generation, um, we, we may have some understanding of ambassadors and embassies. Do they always do a good job? Have you been to the embassy of your particular nation? They're going to pass judgment on one particular Embassy that I will not name, but our Nigerian elder Charles is shaking his head. I had a fascinating experience there once. I really felt sorry for the staff on duty, the, um, all sorts of things happening that day. 
I've been to many embassies for actually many different countries over the years, and um, sometimes it's a good experience and sometimes it's a bad experience. The truth is, someone could interact with you on any random day. And depending on the day and how you are that particular day, they may go away saying you are that kind of person or that. So I don't wish to be unfair to anyone or anything. But when an ambassador is not representing his nation well, he may still have the title of ambassador. He may still have a message that is conveyed on behalf of his nation or her nation. But when it comes down to it, the work isn't getting done. The ministry of uh, being an ambassador isn't happening. It, certainly in our government, we have different ministries, don't we? Um, just within the, the UK, the ministry of defense or the ministry of um, education or any number of other ministries and uh, depending on how well those ministries are led and how well they function or how badly, on the reverse, uh, people may go away saying, I don't feel particularly ministered to. It's not a ministry that overwhelms me with confidence or joy. A ministry that helps me. Now think about our ministry. We have a message. There are beliefs that those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ in the room today, all of us hold in common. We all have confessed these things. We have a statement of faith. You don't, if you go on our church website, you don't have to be rooting around for what do these people believe. It's you know about us, click about us, go down, what we believe. And, and that's actually layered through in different ways, multiple pages, so you can suss it out. But there's a full statement. I once gave it to someone who wanted to um, uh, potentially join the church, and they said it was, it was um, very lengthy, very full. But I, I, I thought it was actually pretty standard. I said, oh, th that's the summary. Here's some confessional documents that you can go back to and read that are, are much longer. There are things that we believe. There's a message that we have. But the question of today, what is our ministry? We, we preach coming together, but are we coming together? With God and with one another. We proclaim reconciliation, but are we living reconciled lives and reconciliatory lives? I remember there was a dispute at, at one time about um, some, uh, some pastors were applying the message of reconciliation uh, as it is found very clearly in the New Testament to a range of uh, particular societal issues. And um, uh, they were saying that we as the church have to speak to this. We have to communicate that it is in Jesus Christ that... There is reconciliation and healing. And we have a unique and distinct message that actually brings people together instead of tearing them apart. And unfortunately, uh, due to various partisan biases, and um, not, uh, I do maintain um, the infusion of, of um, state sometimes over church in certain cultures, 
there, there were uh, pastors and Christians and Christian influencers and all of that that were, were, were objecting to that. I remember one particular person, and um, she, she did the thing, I hate that, with the, the clap emoji. Like, they're just very condescending, you know. It's like, you know, reconciliation happened at the cross. We don't need, we don't need your reconciliation talk. Well, I'm sorry. Jesus Christ at the cross was reconciling us to God. And he has given us a ministry of reconciliation. Which means that, yes, reconciliation was purchased at the cross. Reconciliation was achieved and accomplished at the cross. It is applied to our account by the Holy Spirit as we repent of sin and believe in Jesus. And that gospel proclamation needs to keep getting out there so that people continue to be reconciled to God and so that all of the various things that are broken in this universe ultimately find wholeness and healing in Jesus. So I want us to really examine ourselves and think about what, what is our ministry this morning. Are we conducting ourselves in a reconciliatory way because we believe in Jesus Christ? Ours is a cooperative ministry. Um, uh, the ministry of coming together is a cooperative ministry. It says, um, working together with Him. Working, working together with God. Let's, let's be careful that we, we, we do not become so... Um, I'm going to use a, a word here that's very important and a good word in its right context. Monergistic. Okay, monergistic means it's all of God. Salvation is all of the Lord, and we believe that. But there are some that will communicate that message in such a way that they sit back and do nothing. In fact, I could, without quoting Scripture, talk about we're cooperating with God or we're working with God, and someone would get their back up. That sounds like false teaching to me. That sounds like workspace salvation to me. That sounds like some sort of self-centered thing because I've said co we're cooperating with God. We're working together with God. But it's not because the Apostle Paul talks about it. Working together with Him. God is sovereign. We are responsible. In the book of Acts, you could read a, a, in one chapter how as many as were appointed unto eternal life believed. And you could just go a few verses later and see the apostles reasoning with their hearers and seeking to persuade them of the things concerning Jesus Christ. God is sovereign and appoints to eternal life, but it is God's sovereign purpose to use you brothers and sisters, in the declaration of His gospel message. It is God's sovereign design to make His gospel appeal through you. I think some misunderstandings of biblical theology, systematic theology, have rendered churches and Christian individuals powerless. 
They have created consumers who have bought into a notion of grace that is cheap, that is without responsibility. And they, we, we can say we ought to be stirred up by the reconciliatory work of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. We are people of the risen King. And He's raised us up to walk with Him. But a lot of people, it does seem that that equates to sacrificing a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. We'll sing, we'll pray, we'll consume a message, and we'll go about our lives. We'll habitually miss opportunities to make Christ known. We will not certainly pursue such opportunities. And if we do, we may fall at the first hurdle. When it comes to our character and conduct, well, our sins are paid for at the cross. So we don't overthink what we say or what we do or how we say or do it. Because, oh, it's, you know, grace, all of grace. There are some times, don't, don't, don't lie, I think all of us have done that before, where, where we are excusing sin beforehand with the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. I'll pray about it later. What a horrible thing. God is gracious, but he, we shall not sin that grace may abound. Rather, we shall serve Him. We shall seek Him. And we shall call others to seek Him and find Him and know their salvation in Him and serve Him. Ours is a cooperative ministry. We work together with God. God gives us the power... And we get to work. And, and, and so as He in, in empowers us and enables us and equips us, we use what He's resourced us with. Working together with God. It's a cooperative ministry. You cannot have a relate reconciliatory ministry if you are not functionally reconciled, first of all, to God. If you are not walking in right relationship with God... How can you expect your efforts, your ministries, your various things that you do to be blessed? Maybe they'll be blessed under God's common grace, which He gives to everybody, including people who deny Him, so that they have some success maybe in what they do. But be reconciled to God is our appeal. Because when you are reconciled to God you're then able to really cooperate with Him. You're able to work with Him as one who is saved simply by His grace through faith. Not of works, but yes, for works. Two works that you might glorify God. Furthermore, though He says, working together with Him, we, stop there, our cooperation is not simply with God. It should be with one another. This cuts against uh, individualist approaches very popular these days in a world of influencers and um, uh, sort of social media platform building and other things that, that may have kingdom uses and kingdom purposes, but people just striking out and doing their own thing. Yeah? I'm going to start this ministry. Have you talked about it with other brothers and sisters? Have you, have you talked about it with, 
with the elders. And let me talk to the elders now. Um, someone says, I want to start this, this ministry. I want to serve in this particular way. And the elders are like, no, don't really know. Um, even though it seems you know, completely in line with scriptural principles and Christian conduct. Uh, we, we, we need to work together. We need one another. You have gifts. You, you are a priest, not me. I'm a priest too at the same level as you. I'm just called by you as a church to be a pastor, right? So, so there's, there's that. That is true. An overseer, yes, that is true. But we work together. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul and Timothy. Literally, it's in the first verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Very strong. What a statement. And Timothy, our brother. We work with him. And we appeal to you. Cooperation with each other. We, a couple of guys writing a letter uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit to a local church, appeal to you, a local church, not to receive the grace of God in vain. So this working together is not just a me and Jesus thing. That you know, we have our, our you know, there's a song, me and Jesus have, have our own thing going. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of people live like that. Me and Jesus, we have, we have our own, own thing going. And uh, you, you try and rein someone in or hold them accountable in some way or ask some important questions. And they resent that because this is my ministry. But, but Paul says we work together with him. We appeal to you, plural. So there is a community. There is a fellowship. There are people who are talking to each other, talking with each other, listening to each other, needing to listen up and apply, and all of this under the authority of God. It's a cooperative ministry. How can you have a reconciliatory ministry and just be you know, a lone ranger? One man or one woman show. That's not reconciled. That's reconciled involves at least two parties that are brought together. How can you do that? May God be gracious and make us a reconciled community of people from all kinds of backgrounds, all, all kinds of places and spiritual starting points and different ideas and thoughts and giftings and all of that, that we're, we're united in Jesus Christ. We're submitted to faithfulness in, under the authority of the Word, walking together with God and with each other. It's a cooperative ministry. But let's move on. It's also a current ministry. Remember what I told you about the person who was getting a bit sassy on Twitter with the, the sort of emoji clap? You know, it happened at the cross as though it's way back there. And there's not something that we're supposed to be doing here and now. Applicational ministry of reconciliation. Notice verse 2. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. 
Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Now here's the thing. Now, Paul is saying now. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. He's quoting hundreds of years ago, Isaiah saying, For in a favorable time, I listen to you. Isaiah, hundreds of years before Paul, speaking about events still in the past, but they applied to Isaiah's present, and they apply still to Paul's present, and I'm reading it now, 2,000 years after Paul wrote this letter, and I'm saying now is the day of salvation. Now is the favorable time. It's something that keeps going. The, uh, uh, the, the times, if, if you go back to Isaiah 49, let me turn there. 49, Isaiah 49, that is what Paul is quoting. Verse 8, Isaiah 49, verse 8. And cast your words over the following verses, because it is in that context that Isaiah is speaking. And I've told you before that when Paul quotes someone, when anyone quotes someone, it's good to go back and read the wider context, because it seems to me that Paul has been spending some time in that scroll. He's been in Isaiah, and he's been in Isaiah 49. That becomes only more apparent as we continue through chapter 6. He quotes Isaiah 49, 8. But notice in verses 9 through 10, things don't seem favorable. For it is to prisoners that God says, come out. It is to those who sit in darkness that God says, appear. Uh, the, the text says, they shall feed along the ways and on all the bare heights shall be their pasture. It, it is um, to, to people enduring hunger and thirst that He says, they shall not hunger or thirst. It, he says, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them. And by strings, streams of water, springs of water, he will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highway shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Cyrene. People from all over the world are going to be brought from suffering through suffering, to a place of salvation. But Isaiah is not saying, nor is Paul saying, when they say, in a favorable time, I listen to you. He's not saying, when you were happy and free. When you walked in the warmth of a gentle sun, and all was happy and light in your soul. When you were full and satisfied and lacked nothing, when the going was good and your journey smooth, He listened to you and He helped you. Now that might be the mantra of Western individualism and political libertarianism. The mantra that God helps those who help themselves. But that is not, that is not a saying from Scripture. That's from pagan Greek fables. Rather, God is saying, when you most needed me in a favorable time, I listened. 
When when you most required saving, that was the opportune moment. I saved you. Um, He is saying when you were prisoners, when you sat in darkness and despair, when you were hungry and thirsty, and it felt like your world was burnt crispier than London's parks this past week, when life felt like a deadly walk through scorching wind under the bitter heat of a brutal sun, and the road was winding mountainous and dangerous, I intervened with favor and salvation. I listened to you in that time. I helped you in that moment. I saved you then. He's not saying the conditions were favorable to you. Rather that they were and are favorable to your calling out to God in desperate need of someone to listen to you, to help you and to save you. And you're like, why why am I going through this journey alone? Where where is God? The point is, He's here. He is with. God has always been there. Just, Just as He always is, just as He always has been, you simply haven't seen Him yet. Perhaps now you are ready to see Him. Perhaps now you do see Him. Perhaps some of you, it's for the first time. Perhaps some of you, as I'm speaking, it's, it's clicking and, and, and you're remembering stuff you already knew, but you needed to hear it again. In any case, we can be grateful that while the message of reconciliation is planted at the foot of Christ's cross in history, it continues to grow up and grow out, and its leaves are for the healing of the nations now. People from all places, throughout all time, being brought to God. We appeal to you, be reconciled to God because it is a current ministry. It's not something resigned simply to the days of Jesus or the apostles. It is something we continue to proclaim. Be reconciled to God. And if you are reconciled to God, then work together with Him. Work together with His people in the ongoing ministry of reconciliation. Are we on the same page? On that? Does that make sense? In a favorable time, I listened to you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. Now is that time. Now is that day. Because Jesus Christ is crucified for sinners, satisfying the justice of God and bringing people to Himself in repentance and faith. He's raised for our justification so that we have hope and assurance of eternal life and an eternal presence with God with great joy. That's what Jesus has done. And it's not just about heaven one day. It's about here, now, today. And it's not just about at the cross, at the cross. It's about here in this room, this very moment. Be reconciled to God. But it's also a commendable ministry. Read further. The Apostle says we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. 
Can you say that about your ministry? Can you say that you are commendable in every way? Someone's like, oh, Ryan, you know, Jesus is commendable and I find my commendation in Jesus. Sometimes that's a cop-out. I mean, I know what you're saying. I believe the gospel. And I, we, we point people to Christ as the only one who can perfectly fulfill the expectations and requirements and obligations of the Lord. But we believe that the Word of God rightly orders and properly orders our lives. Do we not? It, it, it has some bearing on how we live, doesn't it? And, and so... I mean, do you want to be someone who's commendable in spiritual terms only? And the eyes of your brothers and sisters around you are like, oh. yeah, I just have to put a little caveat on that. Yeah. You know, they're okay, but there's a few qualifications we want to make. And I know, here's the facts. I know you can put some qualifications about me. I could make some qualifications about you. But what we must be doing is looking to Jesus Christ. And as we look to Jesus Christ, realize that there are core characteristics that are Christ-like that we should aspire to be like. And there are things that are not Christ-like that we should throw away and never return to them. Because they're worthless. They're unprofitable. And this church will, like so many others, die If we are not Christ-like. It doesn't matter how faithful to the gospel we are. You're not faithful to the gospel. If it's simply the message. Without the ministry. What might such obstacles look like? Someone someone asks. Let's get practical. It's a dangerous question to ask. Because I'm always happy to oblige. Pretty much anything. That is the opposite of what the Apostle Paul goes on to list. Because if you look at what he says in the following verses, starting with, by great endurance, do you see that? There's a list. We commend ourselves in every way. How? Colon. By great endurance. And then there's a list. We'll come to the list in a moment. But um, uh, that, that will hopefully be a cleanser from, from uh, all of these other things. Uh, what are obstacles that might get in the way of a reconciliatory ministry? I submit to you that you yourself can be the greatest obstacle. Your attitude and actions can present a significant barrier to someone listening to and believing the gospel message. How you engage people you disagree with. Believers or unbelievers. How you talk to and about other people. How you respond to the things that happen around you or to you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Yes, I said even the good. Because some people respond very badly to good things. No, I'm not saying they get angry when good things happen to them. But... Spoiled and entitled, perhaps? High expectations of consumerism and materialism that start worming their way into the life of the church? 
so that we're unable to bear with one another in love and walk with one another together as we're called to. There's a whole range of things that one could respond to good things even badly. Are you a wimp? don't know if you can say that, but I just did. Are, are you a wimp unable to endure much at all? Are you so fragile that you quit at the first offense? Or perhaps you're at the other end of the, the spectrum. Because that's a problem too. Um, uh, perhaps you're a bully who is more likely to be the one dishing out afflictions than the one enduring them. Or perhaps you're, you're a drama queen who is always being persecuted, always under attack, always bring, and it's not just you who has to join the ride. Someone else gets brought along in the front seat of the roller coaster of your emotions. Exhausting them and driving them away. Or perhaps you are a gaslighter who is doing the attacking and it's always someone else's fault. Particularly the person you're attacking. Back to that image of the bully. This time you go back to childhood days and a particularly nasty individual on the school playground who has taken your hands and is pummeling your face while saying, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself. You're the spiritual equivalent of that, only grown up. Perhaps people get the idea that you have never been tested in your life just because of how you respond to things around you. Um, They don't really see you being present. Never mind patient and kind when they are being tested either. Perhaps purity is your problem. You say you're a follower of Jesus, but you're greedy. You're addicted to the satisfaction of your own desires through your own chosen means. You are irresponsible, thieving, and corrupt. You are lustful, porn-watching, fornicating, promiscuous, adulterous, Or maybe your impurity is of a different variety. You're deceitful, slanderous, gossiping, abusive emotionally, spiritually, or physically, unfaithful, untrustworthy, or otherwise. Any number of other things that could be classed as impure. Perhaps ignorance is your problem. You're quick to speak, slow to listen, and even slower to comprehend. You have failed to understand that with many words, there is sin. You think you know a lot, but you know only a little. But with the little that you know, you are suddenly an expert to say and do things that distract, disturb, mislead, and needlessly hurt and divide. Perhaps your problem is self-righteousness. And so you tut and you strut and you look down at people who are struggling with the categories I've just mentioned. But you need to set your own self and your own house in order and learn to be patient and kind. Perhaps you seem to be characterized more by the world spirit than the Holy Spirit. Fake and pretentious instead of genuine in your love. You're a liar to others, to yourself and to God. You live by the power of your flesh, not the power of God. And your weapons are neither those of righteousness nor are they wielded righteously. You cannot bear a little dishonor. 
but crave only honor for yourself. You love praise, but you can't live with slander. If, if treated as an imposter, you'd soon enough believe you are, and, and, and not only believe you are one, become one, then hold true. You want to be known more than you want to make Christ known. You're very concerned by the thought of anyone looking at you and thinking you are weak. Or looking at you and thinking, oh, he or she is being punished. Or, oh, they, they seem a bit sad, sorrowful, maybe a bit depressed. Or, or, or oh, oh they're, they're poor. Look how poor they are. Look at, the out, look at the outcome of their way of life, their faith. They don't have much, do they? They've not, they, they don't have a house of their own. They don't have particularly great savings. Um, they're, they're not adept at... Um, investing and you know just, just so much potential squandered you don't want people to think about you that way you don't want people to see you that way and, and, and so you pursue what seems respectable and prioritize that over potentially what is right and needed the list could go on as I said I'm happy to oblige if someone asks, what might be obstacles? You're like, oh, you just pulled that out of the air. Or, oh, Ryan's venting about some, some you know, issues he must have had um, at some point in time. Actually, not at all. It was very, very easy to get that from the text. You literally just take the list of how Paul commended himself in every way, and you flip it on its head, and you get the opposite. In other words, something that is not commendable. Because this is how Paul commended himself in every way. By great endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true. As unknown and yet we're well known. As dying and behold, we live. As punished, yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. Because, and he's not even speaking in the, the materialistic financial terms that, that you've automatically perhaps assumed. But people are enriched by the grace of God and the lavishing of the grace of God on them in Jesus Christ as they feast upon all that he is and all that he has done. The furthest thing from Paul's mind is material wealth and riches at this point. But the riches that we have stored up in heaven, that he has he's done without the comforts of this earth so that he can pursue the kingdom of God. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. Why? Because he has Jesus Christ. He's reconciled to God. He's one with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He has mansions in heaven. He has a glorious inheritance forever and ever. He has the power of the Holy Spirit to help Him now and give Him hope forever. And that is everything. He has 
brothers and sisters. He's not alone. It's not just him and Jesus. He's brothers and sisters to help him. That's why he, later in this letter is actually asking them for financial support. And he's going to be channeling support, some of that support, to others who are in greater need. Why? Because it's a cooperative ministry. They're working together. Do you see the, the power of a ministry of reconciliation? You know, I know people live in willful rebellion against God and earnest rejection of His good news. But if you open your eyes and your ears without being defensive, you will see and hear a disconcerting number of people who are put off, not first by the content of the Christian message, but by the conduct of its messengers. And perhaps their failure to accurately convey the message of Christ's good news. It is not the biblical Jesus Christ that some people reject to start with. Sometimes it's a fake Jesus and false gospels that have been put up in place of the real Jesus and the real gospel. And people have rejected that and they want nothing to do with it. And I don't want anything to do with it. But you have to talk with those people patiently through that to help them sift that this is error, this is wrong. But this is true and good and beautiful. Sometimes they, 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 they see this fake Jesus or this corrupted Jesus and these false gospels or polluted gospels and they, 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 they don't have the sense to know that that's not, that's not what the Scriptures teach, but they see the structures of injustice and immorality that have been built around these false Jesuses. And they reject that. And so they assume they reject the Christian message. But no, what we, what we go through, look at that list that Paul said. There's some things that we go through. Starting with great endurance and going to hunger. Are we commendable in what we do? Are we commendable in what we go through? Are we prepared to do what we do going through things that are painful and hurt? How do we go through those things? So, you know, great endurance all the way through hunger. And, and then he says, by purity. So he starts a new list. By purity. And if you read through to um, uh, um, uh, yet possessing everything, that's really about how we go through the things that we go through. And you can just take that first one, purity. And, 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 and a very narrow aspect of purity Perhaps sexual purity. And I've heard it so many times. You know, a, a pastor or a church planter and he's working hard and there's spiritual warfare. And then they, they have an announcement. And they talk about a moral fall. Or a failing. And he's taking a bit of a leave. Yes? Why? Because he just worked too hard. He, he was going through a lot of stuff. And he'll get up there and he'll say, I'm sorry, but then he'll give his reasons for why he was unfaithful to his wife or any number of other scenarios. Paul went through far worse. Yeah? And you don't find him finding solace in the arms of a... He's a single man, so arms of a prostitute. Do you? No. So, I mean, here's the thing. We have to... Um, uh, to, to stop excusing our misbehaviors, our impurities, our sins with we're going through some stuff right now. That doesn't give you a license. 
Jesus Christ was crucified for you. He was buried. Three days. Presumably the body began processes of decomposition. I don't know how all of that worked, but He did that for you. And someone hurts your feelings, and so you, 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 you go and watch porn. Because you don't like something someone says, it's you in a tailspin. That's ridiculous. So we, we, we have to start examining ourselves and realize what we go through and how we go through it are not separate from our ministry of reconciliation, but they are part of it. And, and you can't really have a blessed ministry of reconciliation without being prepared to suffer a little. And uh, people the world over would smile. And, you know, I think our brothers in other parts of the world are very patient with us, our complaints about all that we go through and stuff, while we, we live comparatively lavish lives in comfort and peace and freedom. Weapons. He talks about weapons. Someone might, I just thought I'd mention that while we're having this view of the text. We have weapons in our hand. Some people are like, okay, by great endurance, and they think so. Okay, so, so basically, I have to become some sort of, I don't know, the warrior version of myself. And they run from all of this weak stuff that spiritually weak, spiritually just not Christ-like, and they go to, actually, it's some sort of stoic Jesus. It's another false Jesus. Street fighter Jesus, I've heard some people call him. Just this, you know, I have to, I have to be this, um, uh, this aggressive, abusive person to make it through the sufferings of this life. Gritted teeth. Flaming darts of the evil one. I'm just going through all of that. And I make it through at the end. With a bad attitude. And some casualties along the way. Well, that, that's not acceptable either. He's clearly said as much. In, in this, this text. The stuff that he has endured. He speaks strongly and sternly. And he speaks the truth to the Corinthians. But he's not abusive. Is he? I, I dare say some people in 21st century London might read some of 2 Corinthians and say, oh, he's a bit abusive. But he's not. He, he's literally speaking the facts. Um, but he says weapons. And there are some people who are like, I, don't, I just don't like, I don't like militant language. And there are other people who love militant language. But he's very clear that he has given us as weapons for the right hand and for the left, weapons of righteousness. In other words, Paul is saying, I don't get my work done by earthly swords. I don't get my work done by violence. I don't get my work done by abuse or hammering away at, at people and abusing and oppressing. I don't do that. I have weapons of righteousness. If you want to go back to another verse that builds on this, Romans 12 verse 7 says, Let therefore sin not reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as weapons. That's the actual translation. It's translated often as instruments. But weapons for unrighteousness. 
But present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Don't let sin weaponize your body against Christ and His church. Rather, add your body to the arsenal of the church to wage war against sin. You're not a slave anymore. You're free. Your right hand and your left hand are instruments, weapons for righteousness. Stop letting sin use your own body parts to smash you in the face. And take the fight to sin in yourself. And as you do that, then you're able to go out and testify to the reconciliatory power of Jesus Christ. And you're able to say profitably, fruitfully to a lost world as one who has been healed, be reconciled to God. And you're an ambassador that they'll actually listen to. Because you're not corrupt. You're not badly managing the embassy. You're not um, uh, messing about with visas and passports in ways you shouldn't. You're not getting little things under the table or giving things under the table. You're not having meetings in cigar-smoked back rooms talking about, you know, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Quid pro quos and all of that. You're a faithful, upstanding, cooperative, current, and commendable minister of reconciliation. And so we might say that is not only all of those things, but it's truly compelling. A compelling ministry that draws people, that wins people. Last week I told you about Daryl, a man I met in front of a fountain in Brussels who was trying to get me to give money to his charity. This week I'll tell you about when our train stopped for four hours uh, at the Polish-Ukraine border, and we just sat there. Now, I had low battery on my devices, my downloads were full, and I had consumed any content that I had downloaded, and I was hot and uncomfortable and hungry, and decided I would get up and stretch my legs. Well. I went to the foyer and just stood there. I don't know for how long. And random people on their way to the toilets, not sure if the toilets were even functioning or not, would stop and ask me as though I, as though I was you know, working on the, the thing. Is all of this, is everything good? Or someone in there, I'm just standing, minding my business, trying to get some fresh air. But I started to say, what if I actually start conversations with these people? And I did, just casual. There was a man who was um, sort of timidly looking around, and I saw that, um, uh, in contrast to his body language, he had a, a free Burma Rangers shirt on. This is a very interesting organization that um, takes Christians to Burma and teaches um, combat medicine in um, uh, the jungle and in the mountains where indigenous tribes are being um, slaughtered by the military government. So they do some very interesting work. And I saw that and I thought I'm going to have a, a bit of a conversation with him. 
I quickly arrived at the conclusion that the man was um, an introvert and potentially exhausted my, by my company. But um, uh, nonetheless, I tried to make myself available and helpful. We sit there and I keep you know, acting like I, I know what's going on. The man comes on, starts speaking Ukrainian, and, um, uh, and I, I listen to what someone else over here is translating, and then I'd walk down and I'd talk to him and say, oh, yes, yeah, this is, you know, this is what's happening. Never had anything of substance to report. But um, started talking, and some, someone heard that me speak English, an Uzbek man. I've never be- met someone from Uzbekistan, thought that was interesting. So I start talking about Uzbekistan. We start having a chat. We're just getting to know each other. He wasn't overly interested in having a long conversation for the duration of the delay. So we, we uh, you know, he, he left. But in the midst of all that, another man who speaks fluent English has, has entered the conversation and I picked up with him. He's from Georgia. Basically, any men on the train were um, foreign nationals who were like me, visiting family have Ukrainian wives or girlfriends or whatever, and they were um, returning to the lands from whence they came. Well, Zaza, I believe was this chap's name, um, from Georgia. Again, I've not been to Georgia. I don't know many people from there, and I find it a very interesting place. Good food, very nice scenery. So we have a chat. One thing leads to the next, and I find myself engaging Zaza about faith. Why? Because he's anxious. Because the train has stopped and we looked and it had been like two or three hours that we just sat there. He had a bus to catch to another city to catch a plane to get to his family. And they're anxious and he knows he has no way of communicating with father and mother. They'll get to the airport. He won't be on the plane and they'll be beside themselves with worry. So I, he said, you seem fairly relaxed. And I said, yeah, I am. I'm on sabbatical. I have no place to be, nowhere to go. I'm just, just so I know I'm not in your situation. But I've been in situations like this before and I haven't always handled them well. And yet I've always learned at the end that there was a reason. There's something that makes sense later. And I said, I can't help but think that that reason that this train has stopped is so that we could have a conversation. I can get through little and big things by faith. Oh, were you worried when you were in Kiev and the, the air raid sirens were, 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 were going off? Not particularly, much to my, um, uh, my wife's um, increased anxiety. I was, if anything, a little too relaxed. Um, uh, but it's like, what, you know, my days are in God's hand. So... I communicated this. We start talking. He finds all that very interesting. We go back talking about him. But for four hours, it was like tennis. Talk a bit about him. Talk a bit about me. And when we're talking about me, I keep talking about Jesus and faith and hope and how to live in a dark world in difficult times. Another lady walks up and starts speaking English. Wondered if she could join the conversation to practice her English. Um, uh, Her sister joins her. And so the next thing I know, we're there probably an hour or an hour and a half just with that group of three people talking to them. I spoke to them in their anxieties and distresses with what I hope was an unashamed but kind Christian perspective. 
I express disagreement with the legalism and ritualism that they have rightly rejected as fairly secular young people, but also disagreement with the individualism of the lives that they have embraced, living simply for themselves and their own plans and desires. I pointed to Christ as the better way of faith, hope, and love. Afterwards, we exchanged details. I got an invitation to go to Georgia. I guess I'm going to have to go to Georgia sometime now. He's been in touch, so it's not one of those, oh, let's say in touch, and you forget about each other. He's messaged me. He said that he went away feeling that he had engaged with someone who was really genuine, inspiring, and humble. Now, I've just communicated that, and I don't know how humble that is, but, but that's what he said. I felt like I, you were someone who listened to me sincerely. And you spoke to me honestly and openly and comfortably about what you believe. It seemed like a new experience for him, particularly when it comes to dealing with, quote unquote, people of faith. And that's unfortunate. I told him and them that I believe God stops trains at borders for hours and puts people in my path so I can share Jesus with them. Why? Because I have a cooperative ministry. God stops the train. I talk to people. In a bad situation, I presented Jesus as the immediate solution. Good news. No, not necessarily would the train start going, but it is interesting. After I had said the most important things, suddenly the train started moving. I have a current ministry. Now is the day of salvation. I read the room. I dialogued with those in it and where they were at. I sought to act like someone for whom the good news anchors me in a world of bad. Why? Because I, I have a commendable ministry. And because the ministry is commendable, I hope that I as its representative am commendable. That makes for a compelling ministry. And one I hope will bear fruit in due season. The question I want to leave you with is, do you have... A ministry of reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for the ways in which we have so often fallen short. Help us to embrace this ministry that you've entrusted to each of us with all that we have. In Jesus' name.